Hey guys, ECRG here, back with another episode. Today I've got a very, very special guest with us. I've got my buddy Eric. He's been on the platform before. Thank you so much for being with us today, Eric. How you doing? Hey, ECRG. It is a pleasure to be here again. I'm doing well. Um, you know, just continuously navigating through this COVID world we live in. It's getting better, I think, but uh, you never know. Just don't watch the news. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I try not watch the news a lot anyway, um, but they definitely don't help with certain things. No. Nope. Um, so thank you so much again for coming on the program. I think last time you were here, it was about probably it was definitely over two years ago, I think. Um, yeah. Because I don't even think you were a CRA yet at the time or you, maybe you had just gotten to be a CRA. I okay. think I was like in the training program. Yeah. Curious about how I transitioned from project specialist to CRA. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, of course, when I get into all that, um, so I guess for those who have not watched that first episode, and I'm going to link it in the description so you can go and watch that because that, there was a lot of gems you dropped in that one too. But for those that didn't watch that or don't know a little bit about your background, um, can you say a little bit about your background, how you got into the industry? And what, and what you do now, just kind of brief overview, and we'll kind of dive in after that. Yeah, so initially, I had no idea about this industry. Um, you know, it's not really much of a job fair career. It's like, not like most well. people. <laughs> like most people. <laughs> right, right. So I initially had plans of going to pharmacy school, and I had interviewed for a couple schools, and while I was shadowing, I kind of had a change of heart based on some conversations I had and also just experiences of working as a pharmacy technician and whatnot, intern and all that. And I had a family friend who worked in proposals um, for my previous company. And, you know, she was in a completely different sector of the industry, but she was like, you should definitely give it a look. It's really interesting and there's tons of room for growth. So I looked into it. I got on Google and started looking up like CROs and clinical research um, contract research organizations and just was like, this is really interesting. There's so many opportunities, so many positions, like so many titles, I have no idea what they mean. So it was really intriguing. And so I uh, called my family friend back and said, yeah, I'm interested. So she, you know, put in a good word. I ended up having a couple interviews and got the job. Um, however, it was in project management. It was a project specialist job which you also are familiar with. ECRG. I'm, very, I'm very familiar with this. <laughs> yeah. That's how so, we met. Meeting minutes. <laughs> Nightmare fuel. <laughs> yep. So yeah, it's how we met. And uh, you know, it was, a, it was a cool background working in that um, avenue of clinical research. You know, it taught us a lot about how um, everything in the, uh, in the background works and, and, you know, how everything comes together. A lot of the stuff you don't see behind the scenes. And, I kind of got sick of that role and I decided to apply for the uh, clinical training institute, which allowed me to become a CRA one and got in through uh, my previous company and has, haven't looked back since. It's been an awesome experience. Okay. Yeah. So you talked about jumping in a project specialist um, or, you know, different companies call it different things, but uh, project specialist, project coordinator, uh, project management assistant, all the same type of role. Um, and then you moved on to being a CRA. And then uh, how long have you been a CRA so far? I think just shy of three years. Three years, that's about right. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess looking back, 
would you have done anything different or do you think you did it right as far as starting in this industry? That's a good question. That's a good question. It's always, you know, hindsight is always 2020. So right. do you think you could have done to, anything better? Is let me try to my separate question. myself from what I am now and what I remember I was as a young Padawan. Um, I would probably, no, I don't think so. I really don't think so. I really like the path I took. I think, um, you know, I couldn't have just jumped into clinical right away because I didn't have that background. Like, yeah, I have a biochemistry degree, but I hadn't been out there doing this. This is a totally different like career than you think. Like, right. Even someone who has an MD or like a PA, like an advanced advanced practitioner, like if they go out and do this stuff, there's going to be a learning curve because it's so unique and so different. So um, I really think like just having that project management background has shown me how to troubleshoot issues out in the field. Yep. It's really thought it's really taught me to, to think in a multifaceted you know, perspective and like if I know there's an issue, I can kind of dial back to like when I was a project specialist and think of how would I have solved this from the office or from working at home. And so, you know, there's been issues with like, um, you know, the drug dispensing systems, IXRS, um, various system accesses, just in a very small example here where I could think back to the issues and pain points I used to have. And then I could apply my you know, real-time knowledge to help get something resolved that maybe that person in that position in project management wasn't doing. So I can kind of walk them through, hold their hand, if you will, because there's a lot of that, you know, people get put in these positions with like such grand job responsibilities um, that, you know, they kind of say, okay, here you go. And you kind of learn as you go. So a lot of people don't know what they're doing. Right. So you do have to kind of like hold their hand and walk them through everything. You're right. And uh, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, definitely in the project management space, you kind of have to know a little bit of all the systems, uh, how to access them, how to use them, uh, how to troubleshoot them. People are always asking you for, you know, different accesses and things. So yeah, I think it definitely helped a lot starting on the project management side of things. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I would agree. I don't, I'm so glad I started on that side because a lot of people started in that clinical trial assistant role. And I think that kind of like pigeonholed you to just being in clinical Whereas when you're on project management, you were you had uh, access to so many more fields, and I think you came across like more different groups better, more more so. Yeah, I mean, you saw you saw budgets. You might have been reconciling payments. You may have been dealing with like a third party vendor, like yep. Greenfire or something. Yep. Um, you ran various like metric reports. You managed the TMF. You were kind of like a jack of all trades. And yeah. It was, really interesting. And I agree with you. Like when you see someone who's a CTA, they're essentially like the assistant to the central monitoring associate almost. Yeah. Cause they're, they're, they're office based or home based. And then they are really just only gauged towards clinical side. So you don't see all that backend stuff that you do as a, a project specialist or whatever's uh, synonymous to that. Right. Right. Yeah. I agree. Um, but of course, you know, people, trying to get into this industry, they can't necessarily, you know, directly choose what they're, what, uh, what position they can get, you know, you just kind of got to take what you can get. And yeah. I, I felt very fortunate to be able to, you know, get an offer, uh, in that role. I'm sure you do too. Yes. Um, 
Like imagine okay. being a, a, a trusted specialist process. I mean, uh, <laughs> I, I, wait, yeah. a trusted process specialist. Trusted, yeah. <laughs> it's like the most random thing. Like, how do you really build a case that you know everything when you're only focused on this tiny little thing? Very, right? very tiny. Very tiny. Yeah. It's, it was yeah. a. It would be a cool. It would be a cool job straight up. But you're right. Yeah, you're right. Um, okay, so you talked about being a project specialist project coordinator, that type of role. Then you moved on to being a CRA. So what was the training program like? Would you recommend, and would you recommend other CRAs do a training program? Yeah, the training program was actually pretty cool. It was uh, well put together um, over at Cineos Health. Um, I guess it was INC Research at that time before yeah. they merged. But it was a three-month program, and essentially, there was a workbook that was through the IOACR is what it was called. I'm trying to remember which certification it was. It was like the other big one aside from ACRP. Yeah. Um, it's just it's slipping my mind right now. But Yeah, it was IAOCR. Cause I, I yeah. did it, I did it too. So I had that too. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. So yeah, that was it. So it was this workbook that pretty much covered like every instance from regulatory to safety reporting to dealing with non-compliance to Alcoac plus to, you know, anything you can think of clinical research based. So it was really, um, it was really, you know, collective and really covered everything. It made me feel really prepared. And within that curriculum, we also had days where we'd take quizzes, uh, whether they were like scheduled or pop quizzes. Um, we'd take some tests. I think we had like three tests. Um, and then we also would have like simulations where we would pretend that we are actually on site and we may be dealing with like uh, a difficult study nurse, study coordinator, like the PI, like a lot of non-compliance uh, we would be given like documents that we'd have to review and find issues with. And the cool part was like, it wasn't just, oh, this is all I found. Our instructors would kind of like prod us and pry us until we found everything. And they'd ask us like, so why is this wrong? Why is this wrong? It really taught you how to be like very like um, vigilant and uh, strenuous when you're looking through things. Because at the end of the day, we kind of get disassociated from the concept, but this really is like looking out for the greater good of people and, and subjects. And so I know it becomes kind of like routine when you have metrics involved and whatnot, and you're just on the road. But at the end of the day, we are just trying to find issues and inconsistencies. So these drugs can be safe for uh, the public's use. Mm -hmm. So I think that was a really great curriculum. And I honestly like don't have any complaints about it. I think it was just amazingly done. So. Right. I mean, because they are investing that because you're not really working during that time. Um, they are kind of investing that and they are paying you the whole time. So they are kind of investing Just in you. Burning non-billable hours. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, OK, yeah. I mean, for most people, they have to do the training program beforehand. Like yours, it was kind of required. But most people are happy to do it because you're going to be a CRA afterwards. So it's like, yeah, yeah. sure, I'll do whatever. Right. It was amped. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No more meeting minutes during that, right? Oh, no more of that, dude. No more meetings in general. I, I rarely have meetings. <laughs> I know. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I'm always busy. <laughs> yeah. Quote unquote busy, right? Yeah. Uh, 
All right. Um, so, you know, being a CRA was one way. And then we had the pandemic that happened kind of in the middle of it. So what kind of changes did you notice uh, from pre-pandemic to being in the pandemic? And we still are at the recording of this. Yeah, so my situation was pretty interesting because the prior company I was with, they really wanted to keep me on board. However, they didn't really have any work for me because my resourcing was all over the place. And logistically speaking, I was working out of the East Coast, but they had a need for the West Coast. So I was flying before the pandemic to Salt Lake City, Phoenix, LA weekly. Jesus staying Christ. There. Yeah, it was crazy. And I was it, staying there on and, site at it, least two to three days. And just to uh, interrupt mm-hmm. you real quick, for those that don't know, um, those, those cities sound amazing on paper to be traveling to a lot, but all that time on the plane every single week, multiple times a week is not fun. So yeah. go ahead. Go ahead, Eric. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'll second that. So basically... You're sitting in an airport for a couple hours, maybe an hour or whatever, waiting to take off. Then you have a three to four hour flight all the way to the West Coast, plus the time difference, which you gain time. But then also when you're coming back is when it's brutal. Yep. And then, you know, since I was trying to be a hero back then, um, since I was new to the uh, grind as a CRA, I was trying to impress. So I was doing like 12, 10 to 12 days on site per month. So my whole week was getting burnt by travel and being on site. But at the time, um, uh, my wife now was in uh, PA school. So, you know, and I was also living in Raleigh and just kind of like exploring and seeing other friends and stuff like that. So it wasn't bad. But now that I'm married and I have like a, a different life and everything, I can't be on the road for five days of the week, you know? Yeah. So that was just crazy. But um, I was doing that up until the pandemic. I guess I had intentions to eventually cut that off and and lower my workload. But that kind of gave me the segue of achieving that. And for about like eight months, I was literally unbillable. I was like checking in weekly and I was like, hey, is there anything I can do? Like, is there some TMF stuff? And they'd give me like some project specialist, like project manager ended work to do. Oh dang! You but were then, even, you were even asking for the TMF stuff. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to get I didn't want to get furloughed, man. So I kept hearing stories about people getting furloughed. So I was trying to stay busy, but I mean, there were points where they're like, "Yeah, we have nothing. Just keep tra- just keep retaking trainings." Uh-huh. I was like, I was like, "Oh wow, okay, like, yeah, sure." <laughs> so, so I pretty much was just doing all that, and um, eventually, kind of came to like a mutual agreement that I had to leave because I didn't want to. I felt wrong about burning unbillable hours. So I ended up leaving and going to another company. Uh, we left in a mutual, you know, a good, good standing and everything like that. And when I got to my new company, um, they actually had me logistically aligned with my region. So I would start driving between Philadelphia, DC, uh, New York. Oh, can you tell people where you're based by the way? Currently in Richmond, Virginia. Okay. Yeah. You don't have, so, you have to say the city unless you do, unless you wanted to, but, but currently in Virginia. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm just edit that. Chop it up. <laughs> chop shop. <laughs> uh, yeah. So 
hit, that, hit me with that question again. I'll run it back. Okay. Um, can you can you tell us where you're located? Or yeah, I'm in Virginia. Okay, there we go. <laughs> yeah. So I was pretty much going from as north as New York to as south as South Carolina, I believe. And you were driving all this? Yeah. I mean, I wanted to, you know, be billable, and 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 you know, I had the opportunity to be local and I didn't want to fly because I still didn't understand COVID. It was a very like odd topic and I didn't want to chance anything before I got vaccinated. So right. I had no problem with driving. I was probably getting maybe like six days on site a month, which isn't, isn't perfect, but it was really great. They like really appreciated it. Um, you know, that I was actually out there still doing work uh, when a lot of people are still afraid to travel at all. Right. So I just rent a car, go to the sites, head back. There are long trips, long, a lot of driving, but um, that's pretty much what I was doing. And I was also trying to stay away from remote monitoring because when I first oh. joined the company, we were doing a lot of that. And they're like, if you want to drive, you can avoid this. And I was like, yes, please. Because <laughs> honestly, remote monitoring is not all it's cracked up to be. It's actually a lot more work because there's so much paperwork and so much back and forth phone calls and emails that you can do way easier on site. Yeah. I couldn't agree further. Yeah. So, yeah. so basically they told, they gave you a situation. You could either go on site. I'm imagining you could fly, but no one wanted to fly at the time. Um, or you could drive or you could do remote monitoring. So, yeah. so you're telling me that you would rather sit in a car for hours and drive to the site than, you know, just be on your computer and answering phone calls and stuff? Like, come on, explain this to me. Why would you rather do that? I just do not like the remote monitoring process at all. Okay. And maybe it was the company that I'm with and how, I don't know what else to say, anal they were about it, but... <laughs> It was bad. So I was like, I don't want to do this. I'd rather just be like out, you know, getting my per diem. <laughs> right, right. Traveling, seeing some places. Um, yeah. So that's kind of like my mindset. And I mean, if they really wanted me to do remote monitoring, I would have. But I just didn't like sitting still for that long. And I, I just felt like it was it was a good look because, you know, it's actually more profitable to to accomplish these um, or carry out, conduct these on-site visits than the remote ones. So it also just looked better from a, uh, a business standpoint. So that's what I did. And, um, you know, it lasted pretty long, but then eventually a lot of sites were starting to crack down, especially my Northern sites mm -hmm. on um, visitors, yeah. uh, I guess, as like the vaccine development increased and they started doing more rigorous testing um, I guess like the PCR testing came out, sites were like, oh no, we need, we need to like redo our SOPs. And, uh, a lot of people were testing positive at the sites. So they had to quarantine. It was just a mess. Oh, so wow. eventually I did have to go to remote monitoring and I got used to it. Um, but like I said, it was just essentially a lot more, um, uh, you know, hoops and ladders to jump through and climb. And, you know, it was just, uh, Hoops and ladders. I don't even know where that came from. <laughs> so, <laughs> it was just it was just a, a lot more of a production. And um, I'm just glad that we actually can be on site again and that I'm flying again. And it's you know, less action items too. Action items galore yeah. when you're remote. It's just yeah. everything. You know, monitor will 
physically reconcile, blah, 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 went on site, and you just keep pushing it out because yep. you never know when this due date is going to be feasible. Yep. So that's so, why. So do you think your disdain for remote monitoring has to do with the processes necessarily weren't put in place because no one could have expected this COVID thing to happen for, and for so long? Or do you think it's just always going to be that annoying to do? I think that it was just kind of done on, a, on the fly. Um, and I don't blame them. I mean, it was an unprecedented event. And we didn't really know where it would take us. Um, you know, remote monitoring has been a thing, but being that there was so much uncertainty and unforeseen events occurring, we had no idea when we could actually be on site. So it completely changed the whole dynamic of remote monitoring. When you don't know when you can actually be on site, it's a whole different animal, right? Yep. Um, so I think that as we progress, you know, um, eventually remote monitoring will not be as common. We'll still, you know, have our on-site visits. But I also think a lot of companies realize the value of remote monitoring uh, from, you know, price point and the ability to accommodate it because if people are traveling, obviously – there's unforeseen events, but if you're doing remote, you're more likely to be able to hit that um, that window for a visit. Um, you're more likely to That's be cool. able to clean more data because you're not worrying about um, travel um, interruptions, other things coming up. So if it's like strictly for SDV, it might be a little more efficient, um, especially if they're using like a uh, an EMR or like a specific um, system like uh, Creo or Veos or something like that. There's like a million different, um, you know, secure server systems. A lot of them use like FileZilla and those upload the password protected encrypted documents and whatnot. But I do think it's going to become more common of a practice. I don't know when that'll implement. I think it's going to be in like the next like five years because a lot of companies have realized like we can achieve a lot remotely. Yes, but you, you can. still need those visits on site to make sure that the sites are being properly run. There's a proper PI oversight. Absolutely. Um, and that all the things they said at the PSV um, and during the SIV and, you know, throughout the interim visits are still there. It's still, um, you know, up to par essentially. So yeah. I don't think, I don't think we'll ever go fully remote, but I do think it'll eventually be integrated uh, at a higher capacity. You're 100% right. I told you, because it was actually my site in Richmond, my monitoring window is 26 weeks. And that's the on-site. That's it. 26 weeks. That's crazy. That's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot of weeks. And the rest... It and, is. And in the middle is... In the interim is remote monitoring. So it That's sucks. twice a year. I know. So that's why, that's why I'm going to say, you better be there in December when I come up there. <laughs> I'm here, man. Come see me. <laughs> the house will be ready, too. All right. I look forward to seeing it. Yeah. Um, it's just it's just crazy. Um, like you said, I think over the next five years, there's going to be a bigger push because now every protol is going to have some kind of remote contingency in it uh, because yeah. of COVID. Right. Hopefully it's more refined, too, because it has been really sloppy and like, yes. you know, on the fly, as I said. I mean, and it so. should have been. I mean, it was a pandemic that just came out of nowhere. So, yep. Any anyone that was prepared for that, you got a question like, what kind of intel they had? <laughs> the yeah, situation. See if they, see if they have some uh, some backdoor interest in Pfizer, Moderna, exactly Johnson and Johnson or something. Exactly. 
But let me ask you this. Do you think mm. uh, CROs like remote monitoring, like from the company structure, or they're just adapting to the, to the times and what the sponsors want? So CROs, especially if they're publicly traded, I mean, they're profit centric, like they're all about their bottom line. And uh, I personally don't know, I haven't looked in this, so it's a really good point there. But I wonder if remote visits, if they're occurring consistently, are they more profitable than, than actual on-site visits? I don't know. And maybe they will be eventually, like if they restructure their budgets and their contracts and whatnot. Um, but I know it might more so be for the sponsors more profitable because they don't have to worry about travel, yep, expenses, hotels, rental cars, tolls, all that stuff. Um, tolls, yeah, per diem. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, dude, some tolls are really they really add up. Okay, <laughs> especially especially when you hit those express lanes too. Yeah. And when you're, travel, when you're traveling for work, I'm sure you only hit the express lanes, right? When it, you know, I'm not going to incriminate myself, but I will <laughs> okay. say if it, <laughs> if, uh, if I'm running late or something like that, it is, it means a whole difference, man. It means <laughs> if I'm running late, it means I'm saving 30 minutes of my life. I'm doing it. <laughs> I'm pulling trigger. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Uh, I've driven, so, I've driven up to uh, DC and there's a couple tolls and I've definitely hit the express lanes. <laughs> oh yeah. You can, you can accumulate like 40 bucks if you hit if every, you pass every single exit on that expressway. Yeah. Expressway. Yeah. Wow. No, you're yeah. right. It does shave a lot of time, but it's funny because if, if, if I was coming up there for a personal, you know, I might wait a little bit, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you, when you see those, uh, those easy pass, uh, remarks on your statement you're like oh man i shouldn't have done that maybe i'll uh sit in traffic next time <laughs> hop on ways i'll hop on ways next there, time. there you go there you go okay so we talked about the pandemic we talked about remote monitoring and how taxing that was um what do you think about cra burnout is that like a real thing do you think you felt some burnout over the course of the pandemic I don't really know if I felt burnt out over the pandemic because I, like I said, I did have that long period of just not being billable. So it wasn't really hard on me. Yeah. Um, but I will say being it's a metric driven industry, especially on the CRO end. Um, and I guess you would have to let me know about the sponsor side, but I think that it's very easy for people to just get into like a mundane routine where, they're on one or two studies. It's just the same thing every single visit. They're at doing SDV, drug accountability, um, you know, maybe retraining a site or two here and there. And it just becomes like a, just almost too routine. And I, I think like when they're trying to, you know, achieve their eight days on site metrics and especially travel during the pandemic, I will say it's not as like delightful. It's not as- That's uh, a fact. <laughs> Yeah, it's not as fun as it used to be. It's like kind of dreary, like wearing a mask the whole flight sucks. You're like steaming your face and True. can't breathe well. It's just and then they're also not serving uh drinks if you're not in first class. True. Drinks and food. Well, I guess they give you pretzels and like uh soda and water if you're in, you know, the coach or whatever. True. So I see myself being a little burnt out in that capacity, but I still really like what I do. I still like um, 
you know, the routine and I like the interaction being on site and, and seeing new places still. I still like it a lot, but I definitely can see people who aren't cut out for routines getting very burnt out. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed I started feeling really burnt out with the remote monitoring during the pandemic because like you were saying, all the action items, all of the documentation, the documentation went up, probably doubled. Um, yeah. Because on site, you don't, if you did something, you don't have to document it, but everything had to be documented through email or a note to file or some extra thing. Notes to files. Oh my gosh. I couldn't, I couldn't stand it. I was starting to get burned out a little bit because, you know, we signed up to be field CRAs, not in-house CRAs. So it yep. was really like going back to being an in-house CRA. Yeah. You know, not, not that anything's wrong with that. But that's just not what we we came here to do. So, exactly, exactly. Um, but yes, things are starting to open up for sure now. And actually, I'm kind of a little bit of a lull right now because I closed down most of my sites for my one study, but the other study I'm supposed to be working on right now um, hasn't really fired up yet mm-hmm. um, to where it should be. And so I'm kind of in a lull right now. It's actually kind of nice. Uh, I can kind of you know chill out more so. Yeah, it is nice, man. You get a little little downtime to recoup and reset. I reset. always look forward to when I roll off a study and I'm born into another one. You know, I don't look forward to like having to relearn or learn a new protocol and learn all the new like study features and everything. But it's nice when you have that like training period to like reboot. You might get like two weeks off from your routine. Yep. You can restart. So that is always nice. I, I think also that's a good point that um you bring me to like, if you're on a really long running study that can also get you burnt out because like I said, it just does become so mundane and um, you're just not, you kind of like, I wouldn't say mastered the protocol, but you just seen almost everything pretty much. And you're just like, ah, this is boring now. So it is nice when you get to cycle through things. Um, You're more likely to get put on a, a really difficult or maybe not the best study, but I do like a little change every, every now and then. Okay. So we talked about some of like the bad things that happened during the pandemic. Let's talk about some of the good stuff. You talk about travel not being as delightful, but let's talk about when it is delightful. Like what are some things you, you really love about, about this, this, this role of being a CRA? Um, what are the delights? Let's go with that. The delights. Okay. So the CRA delights. Um, I really like, going to new institutions, like for instance, like when I was up in Boston, I thought Mass General was like the coolest hospital I've ever been to. It was just, it was like Hollywood-esque. It was like, you're in a movie. Um, so many, so many people like moving around all the hustle and bustle. Wait, is that, is that Harvard? Yeah, that's their, they're associated with Harvard. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Mass General. So affiliated with them. Um, yeah, they, it was a really cool experience. I like that. I like seeing and taking in different, um, you know, clinical research offices and see how they present themselves and how they organize themselves, how their um, actual offices are set up because some can be so makeshift. It can literally just be like two rooms. Yep. Like here's our office. Yep. Um, And some are just like so well planned out that, it's like they literally have thought of everything, thought of every little pain point, every issue you can run into, and they've established, developed themselves into like a legitimate clinical research organization. So um, like, I, for instance, I have one down in Miami and they are like 
creme de la creme. They're amazing. And they have like every single thing you can think of. They really took their time in developing this place. And it's a pleasure to work there. But then you also have places that are just like, you know, uh, you can tell they don't really care and they don't really have a pharmacy. They just have a room where they throw the drug in. They don't uh-huh. really have like staff that are passionate. So it's, it's kind of uh-huh. intriguing to see how everyone, you know, operates. Um, that's been really fun. Um, also seeing new cities that maybe you wouldn't go out of your way to see. Like for instance, I went to Little Rock, Arkansas, which is a pretty- Hey, I went there too. I thought it was Very cool. historic I city. I thought it was cool. I did. I did think it was cool, but would I have like really gone on my way to go on vacation there? Probably Hell not. No. Hell no. But this job has forced me to go to a lot of places that I never would have like, you know, dabbled with like Lake Charles, Louisiana. It's a beautiful little place. It's very cool. Great seafood. Never knew about it until, until I became a CRA. So right. um, there are some like gems, like a lot of Easter eggs in this, in this, in this career. And, um, you know, I may have been a little negative talking about like traveling not be amazing right now, but like the planes used to be like used used to feel like a king. Yeah, <laughs> and and now with COVID, it's it's dwindled down a lot. Like the service and everything's dwindled, and I understand why. But it's just it used to be like so fun. Like oh, I can't wait to get first class on this flight. Like I'm gonna eat, I'm gonna drink, <laughs> we're gonna force feed me drinks. Like you know, <laughs> I guess it did kind of used so. to be like that. <laughs> Yeah, it did. It did. And then, and now it's definitely toned down a bit. And I think it's hilarious because, you know, as soon as they lift everything, it's back to normal. These, uh, flight attendants are going to be like, damn, I actually have to like work, work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and probably people are going to be really rowdy and rambunctious and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. I, I definitely like that you talked about the um, cities that you wouldn't necessarily go to because yeah, that, that is a real gem. Because we've, we've all been there. I went to Little Rock once. That was my first time. I, my thing is scooters. I get on the scooters and I you know ride around <laughs> and go explore the new cities or whatever. Yeah. I stayed um, actually stayed downtown Little Rock and went to the Bill Clinton um, Library. The Clinton Library okay. is down there. It's right down the street. Yeah. Um, I didn't get to go inside because it was closed due to COVID, but you know hung out around there. And yeah, I liked, I liked Little Rock. That was a cool little yeah. city. And I'm going to um, Omaha, Nebraska next week for the first time. So Nebraska. Oh, that's random. That's very random. Probably have great corn items. I hope so. I hope so. Maybe some potatoes. I don't know. I think potatoes are out there. Uh, Definitely corn. Definitely corn. Yeah. The the corn huskers. The Nebraska huskers. Exactly. Yeah. So that'll be cool. Um, Yeah. That's that's a really good point. Um, Yeah. I think it's healthy too. I think like, you know, if you get into that that mindset that your trips are only work that also contributes to burnout. So I think it is important. Like when you get into a city, uh, you know, if you don't have anything pressing that you can maybe take care of later, go out, get some sunshine, get some food, take a walk, explore, because I definitely have gotten in some times where I have just completely neglected the city I'm in because Mm -hmm. I have work to do that doesn't have to necessarily be done that day, but I just felt like grinding it out. Mm-hmm. And it kind of gets you in like a funky headspace. I think it's good to get out there and explore, see something new, and and stay refreshed. You have to. You have to do that. Yeah. yeah. You can. You're not gonna make it. You're not gonna be doing this a long time if all you're doing is work in every city. Exactly. Um, okay, but but how do you do that? Like, like does your manager really supportive of that? Like, how do you make sure that you can actually do that? Yeah, your your manager is a big dynamic of it all um 
but I think you just need to realize if you're hitting, if you're hitting your metrics, if you're achieving what needs to be done, if you're on top of things, um, you owe it to yourself to make time for yourself when you are traveling. And, you know, if you are falling behind and whatnot, okay, well, don't go explore the whole day, go out and take a walk, refresh your head, get some food, come back and then and knock your, your workout. But I just think people sometimes just get into the hotel, open their computer, start looking at emails and they get lost in like three yep. hours later, it's already dark out. Cause I've been that person. I've done that before too. <laughs> and it's just, it's just not healthy. Like you, you literally just burn yourself out that way. I really think that's like the biggest way people get into this like rat race mentality. Um, and if you get into a company where you feel like you have to like overwork yourself to get promoted, I don't think that company's worth it. I don't think, I don't think that's how it should work. I think, um, you should try to be in a community where they promote internally. They, they foster that mentality and they talk about it volunteer voluntarily, because if you have to only advocate for yourself, that can be really exhausting too. Yeah. So I'm not saying you don't need to market yourself because you, you do, you have to show that you are worth it because they're not going to see every little thing. They tend to see more of your blemishes than your achievements. Especially when you're right. Especially when they just focus in on metrics, right? Yeah. Because they just look at you on a spreadsheet. Yeah, exactly. So they, especially if you're in a massive company, if they see like you miss something at one point, that's going to overshadow all of the times you were on time and that you exceeded the expectations. So um, I think another attribute of burnout comes from not being appreciated in your company. So if you ever feel that way, honestly, like I'd say jump ship. Um, you know, it's on you to establish your community. But if you've tried and you feel like you're not like finding your, your place within it, then I say jump ship. That's why everyone does in this industry because it's not frowned upon. It's like, I just think it's built this way. Yep. Unintentionally. And you need to look out for yourself sometimes. Yep. So talk, so, um, well, actually I want to jump back to this first before we talk about jump and ship. You talked about really enjoying going to the sites um, and seeing how they, you know, they, they built out their site or, you know, what, what kind of things they're doing at the site. So what makes a really good site that you like to come to? What, does that, if that makes sense or I can read yeah, it? Yeah, it does. Okay. It does. So aside from slipping me like 50 bucks when I walk in the door, <laughs> uh, <laughs> totally kidding. Totally kidding. <laughs> Uh, aside from ordering me food while I'm there, I'm kidding. That never happened. That was a terrible edit. That out. <laughs> <laughs> terrible joke. That's not funny. Um, I really think what makes a good site is just persistence. Like you know, when you ask something, they remember it and they follow up with you. Um, I think a good site has like a well organized system of storage. Like they you know, don't have all their study binders just crammed into their study coordinator's office. They actually have a set room for it where they can keep it like, you know, alphabetized or set per, you know, protocol. Um, they really don't try to cut corners and they, you know, have every single thing that the majority of protocols require, whether that's like a full function lab or a pharmacy. Um, and I just think like, you can really tell the difference between a site that is like a patient mill uh-huh. versus an actual institution that cares because 
you can kind of see the passion. It takes a special type of person to like really care about like what they do. And, and I have had sites where you just know, like they light up when they like talk about certain subjects and the progress that their subjects have made. Like they really feel happy about it. It's like a really cool thing because you think it's like so superficial. Like you're like, oh, no one can really care this much, but people really do. And it's like kind of woken, woken me up um, personally, like uh, from a sense of passion. So I think it's not only physical attributes they hold, but also like the emotional and like devotion. And, you know, when you leave that site, the things you discussed will be followed up on. They promise like, you know, I have sites that are just so good, almost too good. Like, like leave me alone. (laughs) So good at what you do. So yeah, I really just think it's it's like night and day. You can really tell when you get into a site after like being there for a day. You can tell if like they're really on their A game or if they're just kind of like in it for the money. So, so you think it really comes down to the personnel? The personnel makes most most of the difference. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I know it's like they deserve their money. Don't get me wrong. I know like at the end of the day, a business needs money, but you can tell if people are on autopilot or if they really are into it, and it gives you like reassurance while you're there that you know like this site is going to have like good source they're going to have you know their their drugs going to be well taken care of and they're not going to have any dosing issues for the most part like you can just kind of tell like wow their their source is just so well elaborated on and just defined and it's just great and then you have others that are just like not filling out logs on time and i don't know if they're just spread too thin and they're on too many studies or or they just don't care so Mm-hmm. It's really, really interesting dynamic there. Okay, so do yeah. you have do you have favorite cities that you like to go to when you're traveling? Yeah, I like Chicago a lot. Okay. It's a really fun city. It's really easy to find like a new favorite restaurant every time I'm there. Um, also, Miami is great. I go there all the time. Um, I'm there like every every two weeks, pretty much, which I can't complain about. You can't complain about that. No, it's a great place. Um, where else? I like um, I like some of the smaller cities too. Um, I will say like there's this area called Moorhead City down in North Carolina. Don't have the best hotels, but I've heard of it. They ha- haven't been. They have some good seafood, and it's a cool little city to walk around. It's around the water, and it's like pretty. So I like going there. Uh, Salt Lake City is probably like one of my favorites, though. That's a I like really Salt Lake City. Too. Yes. Yeah, that's a really – that was probably – I was there so often, but, man, that's a great city. Beautiful sunsets, just cool architecture. The Mormons are yep. wild. Yep, yep. <laughs> so. But the beer, the beers there is uh, – it's like not – it's not as high as percent as it should be. They, I think you, they actually just figured that out. Oh, yeah, they, they recently – yeah. Yeah, but they had like all the big breweries, like Anheuser Busch and stuff, brewing like three point eight percent beer just yeah. to like appease the more their city. Yeah, yeah, it was so weird. It is weird. Yeah. Um, but that city's changing. When's the last time you were there? Um, probably fall of twenty nineteen. So it's been a while. Has been a while. That city's changing. That city's changing very, very fast. And I'm sure you saw oh, yeah. just over the course of you traveling there. Um, big tech, how much big tech is going there? Yeah. Yeah. They had, they had some, uh, some pretty prominent names down there or over there. And, uh, the downtown area was big, big on banking too. I was pretty 
intrigued by how built out that skyline was. You know, I never really had a clue about Salt Lake City. But... Oh, next time you go back, it's going to blow your mind. Really? Oh, yeah. It's been over two wow. years for you. It's going to blow your mind. Yeah. Just drive just drive around the same place you used to go. It's going to blow your mind. I'm looking forward to that. Uh-huh. Hopefully soon. Hopefully this winter for snowboarding. Oh, there you go. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Um, all right. So now you've... You've started from the bottom, you know. You've you've done a lot of different CRA gigs at this company and that company. Um, what are you looking to do next? Like, what do you what is your plan for yourself in the next few years? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I really think I want to move into a lead position just because I think it'll be more stable for my my life. You know, if I do have kids or anything like that. Um, also, I want to be at my house working on these projects all the time. I have like a thousand different projects going on right now. So that's not the only factor, but I also think it would be cool to, uh, to eventually give travel a rest and see what it'd be like to operate from a managerial standpoint. And who knows, maybe it won't be my thing. Maybe I will want to get back on the road. Maybe I'll love it. But I think my like, my goal within the CRO industry or clinical research industry in general is to um, become a director of some sort. Uh, I just think it's, it seems like a cool thing. You get to you know run your own show and obviously there's standards you have to follow and preferences through the CRO or the sponsor. But I also think it's kind of neat that you can be, you know, you can paint your own picture and you can maybe run things a little differently. You can manage your teams the way you want to, and everyone kind of has their own way of doing so. So I think that'd be a kind of neat experience. Um, and I know you and I have talked uh, about this too, like maybe one day opening our own offices or something like that. Like Site? Site office? You know, yeah, our own site, our own clinical research office. Um, and I know I've definitely, late, late nights, I've definitely texted you and uh, – our buddy about it yeah, and it kind of went crazy. And you know, that's just what I, I mean, that just kind of gives me reassurance that it's in, in my head and like, I really want to do it. Like when I, when I give you a shot after a night out three in the morning and tell you about it, <laughs> it kind of reaffirms that I'm like, man, maybe this is my thing. Like, I'm yeah, really it's, defi- it. it's definitely worth a shot. So that's cool. Yeah, it's definitely cool. And there's obviously tons of resource. Well, not a ton, but you know where to go to find some resources on it. Um, just to make the yeah. learning curve a lot easier. Yeah, if you make good good friends with your your sites and stuff, you can ask them. And also, like I said, observing sites is pretty interesting because you can pick up different different factors of each site and like what sets them apart and what are good Absolutely. things or bad things. So you can just you have to kind of do your own mental mental notes, do your own due diligence of it. So right, yeah, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Um, okay, so pretty much you've only worked for CROs, right? Correct. So would you consider uh, working for a sponsor or something just to get that experience too? Yeah, I'm just waiting for the referral, man. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. So if you're open to that, um, tell me about LinkedIn. You have a LinkedIn, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So how how is it changing jobs as a CRA? Is, Is that like something easy to do? Um, because you hear a lot of things on the internet and people talking about, um, you know, recruiters hitting them up all the time, or, you know, I'm sure I've even mentioned that before, uh, recruiters hitting them up all the time, or, you know, it's easy to find a job once you get into this industry. 
Is that true? Can you speak on that a little bit? Yeah, it, it is definitely a lot easier, I think, once you hit that like two-year mark of experience. Um, maybe when you become like a CRA2. I noticed that when I became a CRA2, I was getting bombarded with emails. Yeah. I think you also mentioned the same. So whether it was LinkedIn messages or just emails, like cold calls, I was like, I don't even know where people are finding my information, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get the I cold limit, calls too. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, I limit like what is out there um, of my personal information. So um, I don't even think I like put out my personal email and phone number on LinkedIn. I only have it so like they can ask me for it, but I don't have it like, you know, broadcasted. So it's been pretty pretty awesome. You know, um, a lot of them are just kind of like companies you probably wouldn't really care for working for. That's my opinion, at least. Um, but there are some really good, um, hits you get. And, uh, I definitely think it gives you like an upper hand for negotiating. And I think you become more comfortable with, um, presenting your, your, uh, your wants and desires. Like, absolutely. Um, yeah. So I know like when I first, uh, switched companies, I was a little hesitant about the negotiation process. I didn't know, like, would it be like disrespectful to ask for too much because some of these, um, recruiters and like talent acquisition specialists are very prideful of what they do. Yeah. And so if you like counter offer, sometimes it like comes off as a slap to the face, I guess is what I've like, what I've heard through discussion. And, um, I just think uh, now that I know like what I'm worth and like what I can provide and these questions they ask are just routine now. Like I just, I know exactly what, what to say. I know how to explain myself in situations that they, um, they ask me about like, Hey, explain a time where you had to do so-and-so, you know, it just becomes second nature. So I do think it's become a lot easier. And as far as interviewing, it's, I think it's easy to have an amazing first or second interview and to completely skip the third one. If you do well enough, it becomes a lot more easier to transition. Um, obviously it's still like a pain when you have to go through all the onboarding stuff and, um, and clean up your loose ends, at the other companies and stuff. But I, I definitely think it's, uh, it's gotten a lot easier, um, to find a job if I wanted to leave. Yeah. So does that give you comfort knowing that, that you are, that if something happened, you got fired or you had to, you know, leave or, you know, something else happened, you had to quit your job for a period of time, knowing that you can get hired again. Does that give you some kind of comfort? Oh yeah, for sure. That's a great feeling. Um, definitely a sense of ease and, um, job security. You know, it is, it is really nice. I, I definitely love that. You know, if, um, if I ever do feel like, things are too stagnant or I'm not like appreciated my company. I could go and get an offer and potentially provide it to my current company and like have them counter it or just review it and stuff. So I think that's nice, a nice uh, leverage point to have. Uh, I'm not saying go crazy and like when something goes wrong, like threaten to leave. Yeah. It is pretty cool because there is a, a, a really high need for CRAs in this industry right now for, whatever reason. I don't know if they're all getting rolled onto like vaccine trials right now. Um, and that's taken away from the other indications, but it's nuts. Like it, It's always been like that. Yeah. It's always been like that. Um, really? I just, I always wasn't aware then, I guess. Oh, I don't know. I don't know if I still have the text, but I have a friend and you met him a while ago. I think, um, he, he showed me the receipts. They were offering Hawaiian vacations 
for just for CRAs uh, when they got hired on back in the day. What? In addition to sign-on bonus. And he showed me this post too. They were offering a pair of Beats headphones just to interview. Just to interview. Just to show up and interview. So, no kidding. Yeah. So this is not even this is not even the heyday. This is not even the golden age. <laughs> yeah, I wonder how long it's going to last before like government regulations going to shut that down, giving out gifts to interview. Well, they had to do stuff. That's how bad they wanted CRAs. They had to do stuff. That used to be the, the standard. Yeah. And it used to be, um, I remember this, 15,000 sign-on wow. bonus, up yeah. to 25,000 sign-on bonus I've seen. Um, I haven't seen it in a while. I don't know. Are they still doing sign-on bonuses? Yeah, they are. Um, I don't know if it's that much, but they certainly are doing some sign-on bonuses that are pretty uh, – Pretty Hefty. solid. Well, everything's yeah. negotiable. You know, you can negotiate anything. So, um, yeah. But yeah, it's crazy, man. And they used to post on LinkedIn saying we're offering fifteen thousand at least for the CRA. Yeah. Yeah, that's wild. What a time. I know. Um, it's great, man. I love it. And I think, um, you know, as the as the times go on, companies are going to realize like. CRAs really are the front line of, of how they succeed. Like we really are the ones out in the trenches, like doing everything. And, and uh, I mean, as much as like project management team is important to make things run uh, smoothly and efficiently without us being out there, getting the data um, verified and, and document everything, collecting documentation, training, like there is no industry. There's no CRO industry. Exactly. Um, We're or, doing the dirty work. Research. We are, we are. So I think it's good to, uh, I think it's good that we're essentially like getting this opportunity to leverage and, and negotiate. And it's not like so cut dry anymore. Like I remember when I tried uh, negotiating when I became a CRA too, they're like, oh, no, this is pre-pandemic. Yeah. I feel like now it's a different game. So, yep. Yep. Um, yeah. I mean, you just told me you you got home at like 2 a.m. the other day. So, I mean, obviously most people work nine to five. Um, and that's one of the reasons why CRAs get paid as much as they do get paid. And the industry is like that because not everyone yeah. wants to come home at 2 a.m., you know, on a Wednesday or Tuesday or whatever. Yeah. Um, but it just it's a lifestyle, right? It's not a job. It's a lifestyle. Yep, exactly. 100%. Okay. So wrap, wrapping up here, I want to ask you. What do you have any? Do you have any information, or do you have any last words you want to give to the people? Um, any words of encouragement of trying to get into the industry, or want to get into your position? People looking at you right now want to be in your position. Any words of encouragement for those people? Yeah, I think um, it's definitely opening up a lot more. I, I believe that they're starting to search out of their traditional talent pools. The you know, CROs and sponsors, that is, I think there, there's gonna be a lot more opportunity for, you know, people cracking into this industry. Um, I think it used to be very, like, kind of cut off from the outside world. But I think it definitely will become more of like a, a job fair career in the future. I hope so. Um, yeah, I mean, like, they have no choice but to at this point, if they have such a need for CRAs, like, to this extent, they have to start becoming more creative and like more open to other opportunities. Like there's tons of people out there that I'm sure would be great fits that they're overlooking because it's all about like referral and who knows who to get in. Mm -hmm. um, 
So I think like, you know, stay positive in that aspect. Um, also think like persistence is key. I think I said that on the last uh, episode of ours that you have to keep pushing because that recruiter or whoever you interact with may not, you know, see the value in you that you have and you might have to market yourself a little bit. And, uh, you know, sometimes the stars just don't align. They don't think like your background is a perfect fit. Sometimes it is, and they're just not good at what they do. There's, you know, maybe not experienced enough as a recruiter. So just keep trying, you put yourself out there, maybe cold call a little bit, maybe reach out to some people on LinkedIn. Um, it is definitely worth it to get into this industry. And, um, I think, you know, where there's a will, there's a way you just got to figure out how to make it happen, whether it's, you know, the ideal position you want, or maybe like, you know, how we did going in through project management, going in through maybe a data specialist or a safety specialist, something like that. Like mm-hmm. there's always a way to, to pivot out as long as you speak up and show your interests, like they're not going to just read your mind and know that you want to go somewhere. Right. So I think that's important communication. Sometimes you have to do it over and over and it gets a little annoying. Um, but you know, find someone that, you know, you know, will have your back when you do break into the industry and, uh, and just communicate to them, tell them what you want to do. And, and they'll usually see to it if you do a good job. So thanks for sharing that, Eric. You dropped a lot of gems on uh, today's <laughs> episode. And I think a lot of people are really going to dig the information you shared today. And so you're going to help out a lot of people with this. So I really appreciate awesome. you coming on and, um, Yeah, look forward to doing this again, hopefully sometime in the future. Absolutely, man. Yeah, it was a pleasure, and I hope uh, I do help some people out there, you know. Um, Appreciate your time, man. You're doing a great job. Keep it up. And uh, stay safe. I will. See you soon. Appreciate it.